I wish to acknowledge the people of the Kulin Nation on whose land I made this recording. I pay my respects to their elders, past and present. Hi, welcome to The Lead Candidate, the show where we aim to understand what makes for a great leader in science. I'm your host, Dr. Simona Carboni. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to The Lead Candidate, and thank you so much for listening. Uh, Earlier this year, I had the opportunity to speak at the National Youth Science Forum. So this forum in Australia is a non-for-profit organisation that runs a series of programs designed to encourage the passion of young people for science, technology, engineering and maths. So they run a program specifically for students about to start their final year of school, which is called Year 12 in Australia. And I was invited to present a lecture at their Melbourne hub in January. So today on The Lead Candidate, you're actually going to be hearing from me. I recorded this lecture and it focuses on who I am, why I became an academic scientist, my struggles and successes along the way. It also goes into a bit about why I started The Lead Candidate and how it is that I started the podcast. So it's a really good opportunity to get to know me. I hope you enjoy it and please reach out if you have any questions. Hi everyone, how are you? Um, I've got to say, walking in is very different to a normal conference uh, introduction. Hearing you guys being so excited it was brilliant. It was great. I, I loved it. Um, good energy. Keep going. Keep going. Uh, so yes, my name is uh, Dr. Simona Carboni. I um, have the great pleasure of um, being one of the co-directors of a lab here at MIPS um, called the Integrated Neurogenic Mechanisms Lab. And I also host a um, podcast called The Lead Candidate, where I talk to people about what it is to be a leader in science and what that means. Um, The reason why I started the podcast um, was because I I really was bothered by the idea that in science, when you get into a leadership position, um, you generally get it because you're really great at doing research and um, you might have lots of papers or really high ranked papers, you might get lots of grant funding and then all of a sudden you have to lead a group of people but we are given absolutely no training on that. So um, I wanted to chat to people about what it meant to them to be a leader in science. And this is perfectly summed up a tweet came out last year by um, Adriano Aguzzi, who um, runs a research lab and is Institute Director at the University of Zurich. And he said, um, I became Institute Director at 36. Looking back, it was too fast. And if you succeed in research, people automatically assume you are a capable leader and will give uh, you lots of responsibility. I lacked the necessary life experience and maturity, and that led to avoidable mistakes. And when I saw that tweet, I'm like, yeah, that's that's all that I'm about. Um, Trying to learn how to be a good leader so that um, I don't make those mistakes. So that's why I started the Lead Candidate podcast. And I speak to uh, different people in different fields of science. There's a big um, reliance on people from the pharmaceutical industry because that's what I'm into. Um, But I also speak to people in, um, so I've spoken to someone from the space sector um, and, yeah, all, all over the place. Um, I've spoken to people who come from very academic backgrounds. So Professor Fiona Stanley, um, she ran a institute in Perth, um, the Telephone Kids Institute, and is also a former Australian of the Year. I've spoken to people who have served on boards, been directors of companies, 
um, and people in quite high positions in some of um, our country's leading industry um, corporations like CSL um, and many, many more, not, not just people in Australia, people from around the world too. So what I thought would be fun for today is I'm actually recording myself now, uh, which is very weird. I'm flipping the table uh, on myself and I am going to give this presentation in the same structure that I would give my interviews on the lead candidate. Um, so it's important to know that what I'm going to be telling you today are basically, well, they're just my personal experiences. They're lessons that I have learned along the way due to the experiences that I've had. Now, some of you might relate to these experiences. Some of you might not. Um, some of you it might be something you might face later on. Some of you it won't be. Um, it might just be a bunch of nice stories that you get to listen to for a little while within the context of science as well. So, um, Whenever you hear these sorts of talks, don't ever feel like you have to take something away every single time. Just sit back and listen to it and see if you do. And um, hopefully just enjoy what it is that I have to say. Okay, so I start the podcast um, each episode by getting a quick run through of what it is that the person is a leader of. So for me, I lead the um, Integrated Neurogenic Mechanisms Laboratory. I, um, I do that role with two other gentlemen. I'm very lucky to have Dr. Daniel Poole and Dr. Nick Veldhaus as my co-directors as well. Um, it's not a usual structure. There's three of us who run the lab uh, and we find that works for us for lots of different reasons. We share responsibility. Um, we have different areas of science that we come from. And so we bring um, our ideas together to make um, what I think is quite a successful lab. In terms of the sorts of science we do, um, our very broad research question that encompasses the whole group um, is that we want to know how do neurons communicate with other cells to control complex processes. So when I'm talking about neurons, I mean um, the nerve cells, um, so your brain and your spinal cord um, are made up of nerve cells that send electrical signals um, to other parts of the body to control a whole bunch of different processes. Um, and generally when people think of the nervous systems, they'll think of the brain and the spinal cord um, being, that's where neurons are. Um, however, I'm interested in what is called the little uh, brain that's within your gut called the enteric nervous system. So when I'm talking about your gut, I mean um, the whole tube that goes all the way from the esophagus, down your stomach, through your small intestines and down to the large intestines. That whole pathway is basically one long continuous tube with a couple of little differences anatomically along the way, um, but really it's just one long, big long tube. The gut wall, if you took a slice in um, any section of along the intestines, um, is pretty consistent um, along the way. You've got the inner layer of the gut, um, that's mucosa, that's the part that touches all the content that's on the inside. You've got a couple of layers of muscle, that's really important because um, moving content along is mandatory um, if you're to be able to get it through that really long tube um, and also to break down food that you ingest into small enough content that you can actually absorb stuff as well. Um, and controlling all of those processes that occur within the gut, you've got two layers of nerve cells um, that work together um, to form the enteric nervous system. So I'm an expert in, um, in that area and I ask research questions that are predominantly focused on how that nervous system is talking with other cells within the gut wall. 
So the type of research I do is what is considered to be preclinical. So um, we generally take bits of intestine and we'll run a bunch of experiments on those little parts of intestine. And for most people who do that sort of research, um, they're using mouse tissue or rodent tissue, rodent samples. The difference in my research and the thing that makes me really excited is that wherever possible, I try to get samples of tissue from um, patients, um, donated samples um, from patients to make my work clinically relevant. So I work with a surgeon, um, Professor Sebastian King from the Royal Children's Hospital. He's one of my main collaborators at the moment. Um, and I get samples from children who have different gut conditions and I'm trying to understand what's going on there so that we can identify how we might be able to help these patients. Um, I think this is really important for me because I want my work to be as what's called translationally focused as possible. So to be able to take what I'm doing at a lab bench and actually make it have impact for a patient in the clinic. And I think working on human tissue is really important for that. So that's a real driver for, for my um, work and for my team's work. So who exactly is in my team? Um, well, there's a number of um, PhD students. We also have honours and third-year placement students that come in over the course of the year as well. Um, and we have a few research staff too. What is it that we do every day? Well, um, we do experiments. Um, the way that we choose what experiments to do is generally directed by um, the funding that we get so we'll apply to various bodies like um, industry. So we've got some industry money. Um, we get money from um, the government as well. So um, as you heard at the top, I, I get money from the Australian Research Council for my fellowship. And we've recently been awarded some um, funds from the National Health and Medical Research Council. So we will write a project and we will pitch that idea. And then um, they will come back to us uh, through various review panels and both those sorts of things and say whether or not the idea is, is good enough to be funded. And then we'll write papers, um, publish publicise our findings and let people know what it is that we've been doing. It's our responsibility to um, tell people, if we're using government money, to tell people what it is that, our, that we've been doing with their money. Um, so that's some of the things we do. On top of all that, I do have a couple of other roles and you heard about her research matters as well. Um, so that's uh, like giving service um, to uh, the university um, or to various groups. And so for In Herb Research Matters, it's really about supporting um, women within the faculty um, and making sure that we have a network that we can um, thrive and do really well um, and do great science in because it's better for everyone if we all have a um, equal spot at the table. Okay, after that, the top question that I will ask every person uh, is were you born a leader or have you become one over the course of your career? I get different responses to this question every time and some people very awkwardly answer it because they don't really know how. But um, for me, I think I definitely fit into, I was definitely, seemed to have been born with sets of qualities that meant that when I was a little kid, whether I wanted to or not, I would be chosen to um, lead like a student council or the, the sports team or, oh, someone, can you do this? Can you help us organise this? Like I was that person. So does that mean I was born as a leader or well, maybe I had some attributes that naturally lended itself to that? However, what I have done over the course of my career is I have really invested a lot into thinking and developing the kind of leader that I want to be. 
um, because I think it's really important. I feel a great responsibility to the team that I am leading, um, that I want to bring my best self to the table and lead them lead them in the best way that will help them succeed. So I might have been born with some attributes, but I've definitely developed that over the course of my career. Okay. Um, I then like to figure out how, like, where did the person come from that I'm interviewing on the show? How did they get here? And I figured for you guys, I'd really focus more on the part where I transitioned from school through to university. It was actually a really big growth step for me um, and is probably the part that you would all relate to the most considering that's exactly where you're stepping into now. So um, that's me, um, probably a bit younger than preschool, but the other photos my mum sent were really dorky, so I just left those. Um, I'm from Adelaide originally, and I was the kind of student that I was just super keen, just super keen. I just wanted to do all the things. I wanted to learn all the things. I wanted to be involved in everything. Um, I just loved doing stuff, lots of stuff. And um, it meant that I experienced um, a lot of different activities from music to sport, but also educationally as well. Um, in terms of subjects at school that I really liked, I really loved biology and I really loved physics. Chemistry was not my thing. That's okay. Um, biology and physics were really things that just, I don't know, I, 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 it just stuck. The concepts always stuck. I always had more questions that I wanted to ask. I was just really interested in them. And so when I got to that point of leaving school, I probably thought, um, I like working with people as well, so I'd probably do something like medicine or physiotherapy where I could use those um, subjects that I was interested in but directly interact with people and help people as well. But when I left school, I didn't quite have the grades to get into that, and so I started doing um, medical science, a Bachelor of Medical Science at um, Flinders University because I thought that would be a good feeder program into those professional pathways that I thought I was going to um, get into. My first year at university, I did really well. I was really enjoying myself. I was having a really great time. And then um, my second year, I, I just really bombed, like just really bombed, did very badly. I um, wasn't performing as well. I wasn't able to give my attention very well. And academically, I did quite poorly. And for the longest time, I thought there was something wrong with me. There was something wrong that I had done and I didn't understand it. But I only learned this concept, the word for it yesterday, coincidentally through listening to another podcast. Um, and, and it's apparently a phenomenon called the sophomore slump, which is super common for um, students, particularly ones who've excelled really well after school and their first year, they'll do really well, um, that they kind of lose their way in second year. And for me, what happened was I was going from a high school environment where my time was managed always, moving to university where I started working more, I had to manage my own schedule, and I had absolutely no time management skills that I had developed myself. So time management was a huge um, reason for my slump. I was also um, having the opportunity to interact with all these other people and I wasn't sure what I was actually interested in anymore and I was getting distracted by all these other things. I was basically becoming my own person and the combination of all that learning meant that academically I did have a bit of a dip. Now, the great thing about a slump is as long as you make changes, you will bounce back and recover. And just like this um, graph shows here, I did bounce back and I did really well afterwards. 
but it was only because I made changes along the way. So I identified the fact that my time management was poor. I identified the fact that I actually didn't know how to study by myself. I had to develop a new way of studying so that I could retain the concepts. And, of course, my confidence level was down, right? So that just um, perpetuates that whole thing of, of not doing well. Um, but I improved. I recognised the areas that I needed to improve in and I kept trying and I ended up being quite successful. Um, and the most important part after doing so badly was that the world actually kept spinning, everything kept going and it was all fine and I can sit back here and I've had a really wonderful career so far and I intend to keep having one uh, and I'm not going to let a little setback like that stop my whole world, no way. Uh, and I think this is an, a really important part of my leadership style now, and that is that when it comes to my team, I will um, invest a lot of energy into letting them know that they're going to be okay, that actually the struggles are super important um, because you learn so much about yourself and how you can be better. Um, and while from the outside it might look like that success is a linear trajectory, it never is. It's always messy. There's always a whole bunch of failings along the way um, and it actually makes the journey really enjoyable to see how far you've come to. The other part that was really important, um, I think, for developing who I was is I mentioned before I was just interested in lots of things, but I wasn't, like, really passionate. You know, there's people who just know. They wake up in the morning and they know exactly what it is they're going to do. I wasn't that person. I liked a whole bunch of stuff, but I wasn't like, yes, let's do this, experiments, let's go. I wasn't that person. I um, Instead, I just let the fact that I was interested in things guide me, and I think this quote sums it up perfectly, if you can let go of passion and follow your curiosity, your curiosity just might lead you to your passion. So in, the, in my podcast interviews, I'll often ask the question at least once, um, can you cite an example? So I thought this is a good point for me to cite an example of how I let my curiosity lead me to my passion. So my favourite series of lectures was um, a neuroscience, my third year neuroscience lectures, and I had uh, my favourite professor, Professor Marcello Costa. Um, he was talking about these really complex ways in which neurons talk to each other as systems and feeding us stuff that, you know, you could barely hold on to the understanding, but I just kept asking questions. and like, but what about this? Could it be related to this? And what about that? And what about that? And he just stopped and he goes, with all these questions, you should really be doing research. And it was the first time I actually stopped and went, oh, me, me, I could do research. I'd never considered myself to head down the science pathway. I don't know why. I just didn't see it as something I would do. And I went, oh, okay. And so at the end of the lecture, I was curious. And I went, okay, well, what, what would that look like? What would, that, what would I do? Um, and he introduced me to a lab where I ended up doing my third year um, placement in my science degree. Science degree. And, um, and I loved it. And I loved that third year placement so much. I then stayed on to do honours and then honours became a PhD. And it is still the area of science that I study now. I just let my curiosity feed what has eventually led into my passion. So one of the reasons why I got so excited about the area of science that I, I went into um, started doing at the end of third year and, and was a very prominent feature of the lab that I was into 
Um, it's using a technique called electrophysiology. And I think this just hit my niche really well because it involved concepts in physics and biology, which were the two areas that I've always really liked. I wouldn't call myself, you know, a hardcore physicist, but I like to dabble. And so this was just enough physics to keep my brain um, ticking over. So the part of physics that electrophysiology uses is the part to do with electrical circuits. Yeah, so electrical circuits are basic concepts, just a flow of ions um, moving around. Well, if you look at a cell, the wall of the cell called the membrane has got a whole bunch of channels on it that allow ions to move across it. And so because of that movement of ions, you'll get what's called um, this electrical activity in um, your living cells called neurons. And so using electrophysiology, you can basically listen to the way that these neurons talk to each other um, by measuring their electrical signals. So this here is the electrical signals of um, these neurons, these nerve cells. This um, picture, I won't go into too much scientific information. If you want to know more, I'm happy to talk about it later with you. Um, it's probably my most favourite project that I have done and is a real fork in the road project, I think, for me. In these experiments, what I've done is I've recorded from those gut neurons, the enteric neurons, in specimens of gut from, from humans, from patients. These are adult patients, experiments that I did back in um, Flinders University. And I was one of only a few people, I still am only one of a few people who have ever heard the way that human enteric neurons speak. And to me, that blows my mind. That is so cool, let alone been one of the few people to actually see what human enteric neurons look like. I've actually heard how they talk to each other. And it was from these experiments, which I actually did in my first postdoc, which was um, once I moved to Melbourne. Um, these experiments are really like, this really set the tone for me of, yes, I want to do research on human tissue wherever possible. And it's one of my key um, scientific research values is working on human tissue wherever possible to make my work translationally relevant. I think um, a, a question that people often ask is like, what is it that you love about your job? What is it that you really like doing? Early on in my career, it was definitely, and it still is, I really love going to conferences. I love presenting my work. I love getting live feedback about my work and having a discussion about it. I love networking and meeting other scientists and talking to them about what they're doing and how we can work together and also learning about the history of the players in my field and talking to significant people in my field about what it is that they've done, what it is that they have learned. Um, that is still something that I get super excited about. But I've noticed a shift, particularly in the last few years, is that now I'm actually getting more excited about trying to match people together how can we make science happen? What do we need to do um, to make a concept come to life? What funding do we need to get? Who do we need to talk to? What scientists do we need to work with? Now I actually get super excited about that strategy side of science um, more so. With every good part is a bad part. Um, and I think probably one of the hardest parts of science is that there's a lot of failure while you're doing it, and that comes in many different forms. There's failure in your experiments, particularly if you try to do hard experiments. They're really exciting when they work really well, but gosh, there's a lot of failure on the way trying to get that right. Failure in submitting papers and um, having them rejected or grants. Grant funding success rates are very low, uh, and so that's just a reality that we have to face. Um, 
but that doesn't mean that you don't do it. Um, you, I think the reason why I'm still here is that I'm a pretty determined person um, and I will find a way to improve so that I can get to where it is that I want to go. Um, so, yes, while the failure is definitely a downside, um, it's definitely a plus in that you get to improve yourself constantly and push yourself um, further than you thought possible. And like I said before, it might look like success is a straight trajectory, but it really never, ever is. So finally, um, I like to dip into one topic specifically to do with each person. And so I thought I'd talk about why I started the lead candidate or how I got it going. It started quite innocently with a conversation with my husband um, one night in during lockdown, first lockdown when we had nothing else to do. Um, and he was footballing. He's like, you should start a podcast. I'm like, yeah, I should start a podcast. He's like, no, you, you should start a podcast. What would it be about? I'm like, oh, that's easy. It'd be on leadership and science. And he's like, oh, do you want to think about it for a bit? And I'm like, oh, no, like the idea just came to me straight away. And it might just sound like, oh, I'm so smart, just popped into my head. It wasn't quite like that. Um, it was more because I've been listening and I still listen a lot to these two podcasts, um, a podcast of one's own by Julia Gillard, where she interviews different um, females in um, various leadership positions from all across the globe. It's a fabulous podcast. Um, I just love it. And I also listen to How I Work by Matha Imna, where she talks to different industry professionals to understand how it is that they get the most out of their day. So the concepts were there. I was just basically stealing those ideas and shaping it into science because as far as I knew, there wasn't anyone doing that already. So my drivers for doing it was, well, I saw this as a fantastic net networking opportunity. Like I said, we were just in lockdown. And at that time, I was coming back from maternity leave post my second child. So going out and networking wasn't really something that was happening for me uh, anytime soon. I wanted to learn something from each interview um, and just have chats with really interesting people. So it was a great opportunity to do that. And the added bonus was, well, by publicising it on a podcast, then hopefully other people might take away something from my chats as well. So how did I get it going? Well, the key thing about making something like a podcast um, is that a lot of people have ideas for a podcast, but very few people actually make it happen. So I did a few things to hold myself accountable. The first was I told a very good friend of mine, Pradeep Rajaskar, who's now a postdoc at WeHi, I told him about it. Um, so that he would constantly check in on me and say, how's that podcast going? What are you doing to make it happen? So he would send me things to help me make it happen as well because he believed in my idea as much as I did, which is really nice. I bought a very expensive microphone to make myself financially accountable. <laughs> so then I really had to do it because otherwise my husband would kill me. <laughs> And finally, I interviewed a friend, um, Sebastian King, the um, surgeon I mentioned at the top of the um, talk, and um, I know how busy Baz is. I interviewed him before I had anything. I, you know, barely had a concept together, but I didn't want to waste someone like Baz's time. Um, so once I did the into the first interview, I was like, okay, well, this thing is happening now because I, I don't want to waste my friend's time. I know how little of it he has. I often get asked, what's the impact of the lead candidate like? I'm not particularly interested in the numbers of people, the downloads we get and that sort of thing. I'm not doing it for that reason, although it is very nice when you see the numbers go up, I'm not going to lie. Uh, 
Um, when it comes back to what my drivers were doing at work, it really has been the most amazing networking opportunity and I've met so many people and it's been a cause of introduction to other people who I would never, I would never would have spoken to Professor Fiona Stanley normally. It's only because of this podcast that I've been able to, so that's pretty great. I have learned something from every interview um, and even I'll go back and re-listen to my interviews a second or a third time and I'll take something else away as well. And other people are taking things away from it. My friends are now being told by other people who don't know me about my podcast. And that is very cool. Very cool. Has it made me a better leader? Um, I don't know. Uh, I think learning is a pretty important part in developing the type of leader that you are. So I'm sure I'm, I'm definitely improving along the way. It's definitely got me thinking about a lot. I ask three questions at the end of each interview and they just need a quick response. So. The first is, who have you learned from the most about leadership? I've been super lucky to work with um, some academic surgeons. The first was my um, one of my PhD supervisors, Associate, no, sorry, Professor, he's now Professor David Watcher. Um, and I mentioned Professor Sebastian King before. Both of these guys are surgeons and so they could be super arrogant kind of people, but they are two of the most humble leaders that I know. And they are not scared to ask questions because they want to understand more. And I just think that's the best. That's the kind of leader I want to be. Not too scared to ask lots of questions, understand what's going on properly um, and lead with humility. What am I grateful for that being a leader has provided? It's definitely seeing the development of my staff and my students and watching to see them achieve their potential and grow. Um, it's certainly the best part. Um, it gets me out of bed every day. And um, I'm really excited to see what it is that they'll achieve. And finally, what would I want to achieve to feel like a successful leader? I want my um, staff and students to go on to do more than me. I want to see what it is that they'll achieve and I want them to reach for the sky. Um, and, hey, even one day I might work for one of them and, and I think that would be pretty cool to see that I've developed someone who could achieve so much. Um, that would be amazing. So I thank you all for listening to my ramblings and um, please give me your questions. I'll be happy to take them. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed my presentation at the National Youth Science Forum from January of this year. To find out more about the organisation, find a link in uh, the show notes for this episode. And if you have any questions for me, please reach out on LinkedIn, Twitter or the usual socials. I'm available on most platforms. Thanks so much and we'll speak to you next time. Thanks for listening to this latest episode of The Lead Candidate. We're now available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify and even on Google Podcasts. So you can subscribe to the show to find out when the next episode's available. It would be really handy if you could give us a rating or a review. It helps other people who might be interested in the show find us. And you can follow us on Twitter at Lead Candidate or one word or on Instagram at The Lead Candidate. Why don't you send us a message if you've got any suggestions of people we should interview. We're really loving producing this content, so I look forward to getting the next episode ready for you.